just study things because they're important. That's not why he studied myths, but because they're meaningful. So I want to start there on a personal level. Why does Campbell's work resonate with you? I'm sure this relates to Jordan Peterson. What is blissful or what causes blisters that makes you want to read Joseph Campbell and watch what is honestly a dry production on Netflix? Uh, yeah, because it, it was. I know people are like, really? You loved this show? But I, I ate it all up. Uh, for me, I love the human, the struggle of human existence. I love, I think uh, Campbell actually calls it the rapture of existence. I love the story of our hero, you know, going through a, a, a struggle and a challenge and then learning all these lessons and then coming out triumphant. Because I think that is how each of us see ourselves, right? We're the heroes in our own story. And so it's such a personal connection because I feel like these stories help help get us out of our own dark times even. And do you think that, it, especially like millennials, especially millennials that are getting into their late 20s, 30s, um, I've found that a lot of people are resonating with things like Jordan Peterson is saying and Joseph Campbell wrote and, and spoke about that. I, and I don't know exactly why. In my own experience, I think it's because I've sort of shed the faith I was raised with, but I still have a healthy respect for the stories and the themes you yes. know, Catholicism taught me. And so I'm trying to find a new way. Is, is it similar in your case? Absolutely. It's really helped me make peace, too, I think, with because my family is still very religious. So it's kind of this, this kind of mutual respect. Like, maybe I don't, I don't subscribe to that particular faith, but I understand where you're coming from. I understand why this myth or, this, or these stories play an important role in your life. So it's been a really good starting point, I think, at, at interacting with all sorts of different people with different beliefs. Well, and, and maybe it's my narcissism, but I've always thought of life as kind of like a movie or a story, and I did need more direction, and the basic thrust of Campbell is the hero's journey or the, the monomyth, and when you first start watching The Power of Myth, given that you've also been reading uh, other similar literature, I mean, do you find Campbell, let's kind of just review the production and the conversation between Campbell and Moyers. Do you find him to be the most compelling speaker out there in this regard? or <laughs> You know, I had no idea what to expect because I had never even seen a picture of Campbell before watching this. I had just read his work and obviously I'm familiar with the hero's journey. So the first 10 minutes are a little dry. Um, I think you're kind of sitting there thinking, okay, <laughs> I love this man's work, but this is definitely a 1980s production. Uh, it's dated, um, you know, very two, two old men kind of talking. Then he starts telling the story. He starts actually telling certain myths from, you know, wherever origin he's, he's talking about. And there's kind of this, this power that comes over him where he becomes animated. You can tell he's in his element. And that's where I became just transfixed by him. He was so passionate and into what he was doing. Exactly. Then I, that's what I would suggest to folks. If you go to Netflix, you look up the power of myth, you can like skip all the introduction. I mean, Moyers gives them a very generous intro introduction. Yeah. And it is cool that the setting is at George Lucas's ranch. Uh, the, I think the Skywalker Ranch or something like that. And, and Star Wars plays into it. But you can kind of skip all that and you get right into the meat of what Campbell's talking about. And on the hero's journey, I'll just throw out like how... It, it really, the things that speak to me. For instance, I love not necessarily the hero that says, oh, I have to fulfill a prophecy or a particular thing, like I know my course. I love the stories, and I don't know if you remember where he's describing how 
a hunter goes out into the woods chasing like a deer or a certain animal they want to kill. And in chasing that animal, it leads into this almost supernatural, mystical realm and a journey ensues. I love this idea of when you're not even looking for a hero's journey, you might find yourself crossing the threshold and in the middle. Or it will find you almost, right? It's coming looking for you. Yes, I think it's it's looking for you, and it's either you rise to the occasion and you accept it, or you sort of shirk away from your responsibility. Um, and I, I can't go without, again, going back to, you know, it's weird meeting people in person for the first time. It's one thing when it's like, you know, peers, contemporaries. You had the chance to uh, meet somebody who's a little bit of, I think, a hero to you recently. I did. I did. Jordan B. Peterson, yes. What was, was, <laughs> this, what was this like? Was it surreal? It was surreal, and I, I try not to fangirl. I sure. say that, but that's not really true. Um, but I, I was trying to keep it cool. You know, I had all these things I wanted to say. And then I got up there, and I had been wearing a Slay Your Dragon t-shirt, which was kind of one of his overarching themes about getting over anxiety and just, you know, conquering whatever is in front of you. And before I even got up to him, he stopped me and said, I love your shirt. And I just got giddy. I blushed. It was was all downhill from there. (laughs) I was all smiles. But it was such a surreal moment. It was really cool to see someone that I admired so much in person, you know? Oh, right. And uh, and we're getting him some good economics books, I saw. Uh, Shout out to Dan Sanchez. (laughs) Thank you for doing that, Mr. Sanchez. Uh, now, with I think my favorite episode of the Power of Myth is probably Goddess, the Love and the Goddess, or something along that line. Because Campbell and I'd never really thought about this in my Catholic upbringing. I'd always heard sort of the difference between eros and agape love, but Campbell pinpoints this almost like starting with the troubadours, uh, amour. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. I mean, does this make sense to you in the sense that, like, it, it's become this, like, personal one-on-one sort of love? Like, we, instead of a, a arranged marriage or economic marriage where the whole community is involved in setting these things up, or at least the families, it's now this falling in love thing. Um, like, a common theme on the show is, like, how difficult it is for people to... Um, hold relationships and like I've had a bunch of people come on and and share success and failure and I'm not prying necessarily you personally right now I'm just saying it the when I heard Campbell talking about this new fairly modern form of love I went aha there's the the falling in and out of love can often happen it can and in the west we're we're the only real culture that talks about that I mean Everywhere else, like you said, it's arranged marriage. It's, no, you make it work. This is how it is. So it's really interesting to see. And if you notice the first, you know, he, uh, Romeo and Juliet, these things that are European, um, they're Western, right? Uh, where you you go against your parents' wishes or you're, you're in, in tune with your individual needs. And so you're choosing to fall in love rather than to have an arranged marriage, which I thought was really fascinating because I think we forget how new that is and how specific that is to our culture. Well, and I think it really speaks to a, a true Western uh, mentality, especially compared to the Eastern mentality. And I have to be honest with folks, like, I'm not interested in, say, like, Joseph Campbell because I am a libertarian. It's more like I'm a libertarian and I also like talking about myths. But there is this intersection and in exactly what we're talking about, whether love or other journeys in one's life where the individual starts to break out and the theme becomes the 
individual overcoming and deciding, even if the whole world uh, makes me feel in agony, and if I have to rot in the fires of hell because I've broken my arranged marriage, <laughs> it's still my goal and what I'm choosing is my destiny. I think that it intersects very well with, I think, the libertarian or at least classical liberal philosophy. Absolutely. It kind of tells you where, where the individual sits in society. And for these stories in the midst, they're the center, right? Because these are each their own stories. And that's how we learn. I think that's also how we cope with things. You want to hear that somebody else overcame something tough. You don't want to hear about someone who had a carefree life with nothing wrong. That's not interesting. Right. Uh, but we like we like these struggles. We love a good, you know, terrible, tragic romance. I don't know what it is about it that gets us so, you know, just obsessed with these. But that is the culture. We love these personal stories. Oh, and I, I do. I, I mean, I've been in them myself. Like, oh, look, woe is me, but I kind of like the pain. And yep. it's like, what's wrong with you? you big... I think that's the whole emo genre, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, in my case, it was Prince, but he, he's not emo. But it's like when you're singing in falsetto about the beautiful ones, always smash the picture. Yeah, it's a little emotional. Just a bit. Um, and I, I, it's something about that pain but there's meaning in that pain and there's meaning in that suffering and and to realize that this form of love and romance is very new if we're talking in terms of thousands of years in human history i, I just find it fascinating and there are and this is important why it's, it's the study and maybe watch campbell there are pitfalls to this that we don't have it completely figured out i think these myths are so new that it's kind of the work of each person to understand them and almost even create new myths which is even better right because that makes it that makes it more personal we're each living our own hero's journeys now you know we're going to be telling these these stories later maybe to our children or you know whatever whoever comes next so it is it's very personalized and i think that's why myth is so it resonates with us i mean who doesn't love a good story of a hero yes and it's uh it, it, i often and when i share stories on air Brittany, i I look back and in the moment, say like I'm, I'm this awkward fool at 18. I'm still an awkward 29-year-old, but like 18, super awkward and just an emotional wreck. And, and at the time when I'm going through it, it's a tragedy. I look back now and it's like a quixotic comedy. Like I, I was just tilting at windmills and being absurd and too caught up at the moment. So I love looking back and sharing those stories that, oh, after going through it and finally returning to the scene of the crime, I've learned something and it's damn funny. Like some of the things. You know, I, I, yeah, I think that's how you cope, right? That is how we get through life. Well, I mean, and I, I have to admit I was watching The Power of Myth, but then I jumped over to Jimmy Carr's stand up because I love his filth. So, you know, and I can't share his jokes on I can't share his joke about political correctness on air, unfortunately. It's uh, it's too good. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what is your, what spoke to you the most in watching some of these episodes? I, I know you took notes. And what kind of jumped out at you the most? So this this is going to be a little, a little weird. <laughs> um, oh, please. Really, we love weird here. <laughs> episode two, I really liked where, where he was talking about... Um, how everything is encompassed within us. So we're always looking for something, right? We're looking for for some sort of meaning, but the meaning has been within us all along. And that it's almost like some sort of code, which I thought was really relevant in our modern day because Campbell couldn't have known this then. 
but coding and programming is so it's so part of our culture, right? Look at AI, look at everything. And I think that humans are a little bit coded too. And I used to believe in this um, tabula rasa, this uh, John Locke's belief that we are all blank slate or mm. yeah, blank slate. And Campbell has made me rethink this entirely because between him and Carl Jung and the archetype, I do think that there is some sort of code inside of us where, where these myths resonate with us more. He talks about how all these religions have the same elements, even among people who have never associated or communicated with each other. You see the same myths coming out. Uh, what is it? The virgin, the virgin birth, for example. You see that. What was some of the other things? Do you remember? Uh, the virgin birth, the same as, oh, well, with the Buddha and Jesus. They have the same yeah. three temptations, and after they overcome the temptations, don't give in, uh, they go looking for disciples. I mean, and, and, and isn't it crazy? I mean, worlds apart, and you're getting these similar stories. Yes. Yes, it, it is remarkable to me, and I'd say I've followed the same path. I'd I kind of came into the political philosophy fold, well, first through like a commie named John Paul Sartre, uh, but then Ayn Rand and the the sort of Sartre and Rand, the blank slate. You start off and anything goes. You're incredibly malleable. But I have bought in to what you're talking about, and and Campbell really gets at this common psychic bond that human beings because we're part of eternity have the same sort of built-in code and we might end up representing it in a different way it's i think the way he in his writing distinguishes it is there's elementary forces where as the common archetypal things but then there are folk forms of knowledge that yeah. how do you express it in your particular form and each of us do that in a unique way throughout our lives well, and even culturally, I know one thing I really liked about, I think it was the second episode, he talks about how um, in the Western culture, everyone's at war with each other. God is at war with nature. Nature is at war with God. Everybody's just fighting. Where in Eastern um, like myth, that's not what happens. Everything is very harmonious. Right. There is no good and, uh, good and evil the way we have it in the West. So that kind of plays into that folk part that you're talking about. That even though these stories all have the same elements, they, they're projected so differently in each of these cultures. I thought that was a really beautiful way to put it. I think so, and uh, and for folks who are maybe out there listening here in Montgomery, Alabama, going, what are these two millennials blathering <laughs> about? It don't, they don't even sound like they know what they're talking about. Well, actually, Campbell makes the point that it's often the things that we have difficulty putting into words and the things that we don't even we barely understand, like the very word God. If you push towards that and you think out loud and you talk out loud, it allows you to sort of process and discover new things in the middle of like a conversation like this. It's important. And I think politics, um, because that is my orientation for most of the day, except when I get to do my hour, it, 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 politics gets so caught up on the ideology and on the fight for the ideology, just or unjust, noble or not noble at all. Uh, but I, I enjoy the approach of, no, just be free. You might be wrong, but push into that unknown the best you can. Yeah, I also think that myths, you know, you mentioned politics. I think I don't think they're necessarily, I don't know how to put it. But with myth, I think the overall goal is you're trying to give humans purpose, right? Or you're trying to make make sense of what this life is. And with politics, you're kind of doing the same thing, only you're trying to kind of impose that, that meaning on a broader audience, if that makes sense. It does. But the thing I like about myth is it focuses very, very small. It is local. It is the individual. It is fix yourself first. 
get over your own hurdles. Once you do this, once you've completed your hero's journey, maybe move for something bigger, you know, and that's where I think politics comes in, that you're not really capable of being the greatest political activist or, or even, you know, an academic until you first corrected yourself. And I think myth does do that. Myth kind of helps lead individuals towards that self-improvement or the self-betterment. Well, it does orient you. And like when you make political arguments, you're appealing to what I consider. And I'm not saying myth. Obviously, people should get at this point in the conversation. Myth isn't a pejorative. But like the Declaration of Independence, the language is a bit metaphorical and fanciful. Like, all men are created equal. Well, how are they created equal? But there's something that the Declaration is obviously pulling from other myths, and it's creating a civic myth. And that civic myth helps to orient all of us um, into a certain direction. So I can appeal, like on immigration, I can appeal to somebody who maybe doesn't want a generous legal immigration policy and say, I suppose God stopped endowing inalienable rights at the border. But and I'm appealing to a larger myth. Um, but I think your point also about uh, orienting yourself as an individual is the most important. I, somebody was chastising me the other day, thinking I was a Trump supporter. We would, we had a lot to drink, so it's you know all fair <laughs> enough. Water under the bridge, or whiskey under the bridge. And he, uh, I, I looked at him and said, "Man, have you actually listened to what I say on my show most nights? What I'm trying to do." Personal over politics, self-improvement before you try to change the whole damn world. And I, so much of what Campbell is talking about in the show, The Power of Myth, is finding uh, your bliss. And I, I want to hit a break here, uh, Brittany. Um, and coming back, I, I kind of want to see other things that jumped out at you that really spoke to you. But last night, I ended the night talking about how music helps us tap into this unknown and eternal sort of psyche, this common code, as you put it. Um, so we'll talk about that after the break. Again, my guest this evening, Brittany Hunter, the Foundation for Economic Education. You can find uh, most of her articles at fee.org. And she just came out with a great one today about privatizing the postal service. You're welcome, Lysander Spooner. You're welcome. Um, and before we hit the break, uh, I have to tell folks about Eddie Bader. I don't have to necessarily. I want to because he's a great guy. He not only loves to eat pizza and drink beer with me, but he also really knows his stuff when it comes to buying or selling your home. He's helped me, a potential first-time home buyer, understand things like the prepaids, the appraisal, the inspection. You want to make sure the house is nice, but also financing that... You have plenty of options. He's opened my eyes to all the great properties here in the River Region and the potential ways to build a life. We've been talking this whole show about building a life, finding your orientation, and part of the American dream is owning your very own home. So give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call, 322-0662. That is his direct line, his cell phone. He'll pick it up and say, hey, it's Eddie, 322-0662. Don't wait. Do not wait. Even if you're not, you know, oh, I have to buy a home next month, two months from now, see what your options are. You will not be disappointed. And, uh, Brittany, by the way, who is this that I was playing coming in? Barry Carson. Edge of the Sky. Yeah. I like it. I, this is literally my first time hearing it. It's trance. <laughs> trance music. <laughs> well, trance. <laughs> we'll be right back, folks. Different kind Feel it rising deep inside 
mentioning something to Brittany. My guest is Brittany Hunter from the Foundation for Economic Education. I was mentioning to you, Brittany, uh, this video I saw, and it came out in 2016 um, about an Amazonian tribe, and they had been uncontacted by the modern world. And so this documentarian goes there, and he befriends the tribe, gets to know them, and he starts to show... the this tribe images from the modern world. The first big takeaway, and this was amazing to me, they were showing them images of like artillery cannons, like firing off shells and ICBM missiles. And the tribe, many of the men in the tribe said, why are y'all fighting like cowards? I thought that was um, remarkable. Like, why are you fighting for so far away? Wouldn't you, if you wanted to fight somebody, face them? and accuse them and know why you're fighting them. And that is uh, fascinating. But to our point in discussion about Joseph Campbell and the power of myth, the one thing that this documentary showed the Amazonian tribe that really resonated was some opera from Europe. And immediately, completely different language, music they had never heard before, the tribe understood exactly how, what this woman singing this opera was feeling. And I, I know you're a fan of uh, musical theater, right? I am. And it just, it's one of those, oh my God moments of, wow, the, these po- folks that have never seen this before immediately go, she's sad. And it really speaks to, and I think music in particular is always what has allowed me to get out of my head and overcome my ego. It allows me to sort of, well, as you put the last genre we went out with, get into a trance. Yes, and there's a reason it's called trance. Um, and a lot of it, they've actually done some studies. It has helped people with anxiety. It's helped people with depression. Um, music is this has this ability to speak to our subconscious in a way that nothing else in the world does. It, it really, um, and it doesn't matter the genre. And for some reason, when I think of like these music festivals, like I just see the promotional artwork. I'm like, hmm, if I go to that, I'm going to need some, uh, some psilocybin mushrooms. I'm going to need some <laughs> psychedelics of some sort. And that's another really cool thing that's happening. I almost find that especially folks our age and a little younger, there's a resurgence in sort of comparative mythology, whether it's Jordan Peterson or people rediscovering Joseph Campbell. But then there's also this mainstreaming of psychedelics where it's not just like the dudes at mushroom fest at shroom fest it's actually you know studies being done at johns hopkins and all over the country and the world that are showing that these can also help people right yes i actually just finished a book by michael pollan um you may have heard of him from the book the omnivore's dilemma yeah Uh, But Michael Pollan just wrote a book, How to Change Your Mind. Um, And the whole book looks at the history of psychedelic research from from the very beginning of when LSD, actually from the very beginning of time, because there's a lot of historical evidence 
but even ancient peoples were using um, ergot, uh, which is a, it's kind of like poisonous wheat, hmm. <laughs> but it acts like a psychedelic. But there's a lot of evidence that these different cultures from the beginning of time, especially in Central America, where things like ayahuasca um, are around, have been using these psychedelics as a way of transcendence, as a way of healing. Um, unlike other medications that kind of numb you, these psychedelics are helping people work with pain. Um, you take, for example, MDMA, which is actually going to be approved by the FDA, they're saying by 2021. Um, for those who do not know what that is, that is what is street, commonly known as ecstasy, but that's not really what it is. But it helps people deal with trauma. It helps people talk about very, very traumatic instances. Uh, veterans are using this to talk about what they've witnessed in war. And by taking this drug, they're able to talk about it and then heal from it. And then they're fine. And I think that's the big theme here is people with myths as well, as well as these psychedelics, people are ready to heal. We're ready to get better and to be better. Well, and I just see such, I feel the same way. Like, and I'm, I'll just be open about it, folks. I'm not, you know, doing it up with psychedelics all the time. I rely on my mind for a living. I have to be on to some extent. So I'm careful with this stuff. But I, the same experience I had saying trying mescaline, peyote, is this almost the same way as when I read a great mythological work or like I sit through 10 hours of Lord of the Rings, a modern myth. It's, it's, it allows you to escape yourself and do, in particular with mescaline, what you just said. I was able to think about very traumatic things in my life in a detached way, but in a very lucid way. And, and sort of process it. Like, and one that's a little bit lesser is I, I was coming down and I'd read up on mescaline. It's a psychological, very much a psychological trip after an hour or so. And I looked down at my cell phone and went, oh, look at that piece of crap. That's where all of my anxiety comes from. <laughs> it, was, it was a weird revelation. So I turned it off and I do make a point that when I'm doing a show... Um, especially in person, I put the phone behind me, put it face down, and it's remarkable how many people have told me, I haven't, I haven't had a conversation in an hour without checking my phone in years. And, mm. and it's just, I, I find that connection, and I love that this world is changing in that way, ever so s slowly. <laughs> because and you know... Go ahead. Oh, it, it, you kind of talk about how it kind of helps break an addiction almost to your phone, right? Yes. And that's, that's another thing that they're using it for now. Little known fact, people don't realize that when AA was founded, the founder actually suggested um, using LSD as a means to get people off of whatever substance of, you know, they were addicted to. And that sounds counterintuitive, right? Why would we get a drug addict or someone addicted to something right. on another substance? And the fact of the matter is, um, psychedelics are not addictive. They are not like other substances. And <laughs> nobody has a, a deep psychedelic trip and is eager to go do it again. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. It takes yes. a lot out of you. Yes, but within does. one session, smokers are able to quit. Alcoholics are able to stop drinking. And that's, that's just amazing. Well, and it makes sense that with AA, the reason when it works, it does work, is because somebody goes through a deep spiritual transformation. And it seems that people are finding, like this one study at Johns Hopkins, that they had clergy members from different faiths uh, take, I believe, psilocybin and a yes, controlled yes, setting. Yes, the famous experiment. Yeah. And it, it sort of helps them process their own faith. Like the dead doctrine came alive and... 
so it, it makes sense that, okay, a spiritual transformation can help anybody break an addiction with or without aid of psychedelics, but if psychedelics can forward this, why not? And Well, and I guess the reason why not is we still have this weird political and social drug culture where certain things are verboten and other things are just fine as long as the doctor prescribes it. See, and look at where we are, though, opiate crisis. And that makes me think that the time actually is ripe more than ever for these things, especially if we can get, you know, help addicts. Because we're in, we're in a crisis right now. Uh, opiates are being prescribed like candy, or at least they were. Um, originally, they told us they had no side effects. They weren't addicting. We know that that's not the case now. Um, so maybe, maybe it's time to give psychedelics a try. And I'm also not condoning anybody go out there and, and do it uneducated. Um, a lot of these therapeutic sessions are happening with a guide. There's someone there. Maybe there's multiple guides. So there's definitely a responsible way to approach this. Right, and I would never give hallucinogenics or psychedelics to, uh, say, a schizophrenic. Um, I, there are certain people that should not do these things. So, yeah, it should be. And this is the problem with the prohibition culture, that people, you can't speak about these things openly. So people that don't hear about it go try something, and it really does mess them up. You know, you bring up, I told my Uber driver about this the other day. Um, there's a great book called A Very Good Day. It is about a housewife, a writer who has had extreme, I think she's bipolar or manic depressant. Um, and she began what the kids in Silicon Valley are doing these days, which is microdosing, mm. um, which is where you take a microdose of LSD. So it, let's say somebody wanted to take a full tab. That's how you, you know, you take LSD. You would take one sixth of that. Um, she talks about how it helped her overcome her depression. Right? So there's these, these different things, these different stories, these different journeys, and I'm just, I'm baffled at where it's going, and I'm, I'm so hoping that this war on drugs is going to be over soon so that these people who need this help, who are stuck, have, have something that helps them. Yes, and I never would have thought, like, with, you know, the war on pot, on cannabis, and cannabis now being legalized in Canada, that was a, a remarkable, but around the country, uh, I thought, okay, that day's coming. But to see now this movement with psychedelics and to have it so long associated with the, it's a counterculture thing, it's a rebellious thing. Yeah, it was. But if you listen to people, like I think I just listened to uh, McKinnon on Joe Rogan's show. That, that Oh, yes, yes, Den Dennis. Dennis McKinnon. Dennis McKinnon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was saying that they had government panels actually before the Nixon became paranoid and the silent majority started taking on the hippies, that there were actual scientists more than willing to study the effects of these drugs and the effects of especially natural psychedelics. Um, and it's a shame that, and this is, I think, important to our discussion about how we orient ourselves in a mythical sense, especially when it comes to the political, that if you regard a certain substance just with this this prejudice and this point of view prior to investigation, you're potentially losing out on life-fulfilling, life-saving things. And life-saving is the key there. And, I, you know, it's really hard for me not to get passionate about this because mental health has been something that, that I, has been a part of my life forever. I grew up with a mother who was severely borderline personality. Mm. So it's been something I've, I've never really been able to escape. And when I think of the, and I'm not saying my mother should have taken psychedelics, I'm just saying in general, I've watched people struggle with mental health. I've struggled with it myself. And it almost makes you angry because you think, why, why have they not been allowing us to try something that may have made all the difference? And I can't speak for someone who maybe took their life, and you know, that things would be different otherwise. Right. But I can't say for certain that maybe it wouldn't, you know, it's, 
the time is now to let people try these things. And I think society, like you said, it's becoming mainstream. This is stuff that people are actually talking about. Like the government is talking about legalizing psychedelics. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Yeah, and it does give me hope because, I mean, you see headlines like 30% of people believe a civil war is coming or crap like that. Um, you know, and the news always so negative, and there's plenty of horrific, tragic things out there in this world. But when you see that, and and here's, I want to ask you this, Brittany, because I am so much involved in the news, and I see the sort of false chatter, uh, dishonest or at least uncharitable chatter between the political parties. Most of the time when I go to like a conference like FECON or I go meet with somebody like at a Republican get-together or Democrats, a, a gay pride march, these sort of things, I don't meet these caricatures that are painted in the political process. I usually meet complicated people with their own insecurities and they're trying to find their own path in life. And unfortunately, you latch on to a political movement and instead of really talking about yourself, you end up beating each other over the head with ideology, or not even ideology, just the latest talking point of the day. Mm. I mean, have you found yeah, like that when when you actually sit down, I'm wondering, because you are more active, I think, in political circles, or have been, than I have, that people aren't these monsters that we paint out, aren't these caricatures and shallow things that the news often portrays. I think it's both. Um, Campbell actually says this. He says, mm -hmm. inside of us is both heaven and hell. But here's the thing. While those people may have both heaven and hell in them, so do we. So do I. Yes. And so I think it's that, that empathy, right? It's that, um, oh, okay, this person was really cruel to me. What are they going through? What yes. are they dealing with? What are their demons? And that's something that I wish I would have discovered a lot earlier in life. Because I think once you realize that you were capable of both good and evil... You're more empathetic with the fact that everyone is fighting it or everyone is doing this, you know, dealing with the same thing. And that has kind of changed my entire perspective on human human nature and, you know, in general. Yeah, the tyrant in you is the tyrant in me and so is the hero. Uh, the, exactly. There is this capacity for incredible change. Now, I, I can't let this go because it's part so... Uh, such a part of the power of myth, Star Wars, and you being on a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> um, when did when did you discover Star Wars? Like, what did it feel like the first? I don't even remember because oh, um, wow. it was so young. But it was always to me that story of good versus evil. Right? It's the same. The same. I think that kids today, or even myself, feel about Harry Potter. It's that. It's the epic tale of an underdog finding out his true potential. And beating and bringing down the, the the bad guy, and tell me a better story than that. I mean, that is the formula that has framed our entire childhood. That's every Disney movie. That's every superhero movie. But Star Wars did it in a different way, right? They took that space theme, but but deep down, it's it's just myth, right? It is yeah. the hero's journey. Yeah, and I think Campbell says they borrow from Japanese myths, like with Luke being taught to use the lightsaber, like feel the force, and he's yeah. blinded. And uh, and I also love to our point we just made. He doesn't. Luke doesn't vanquish in Return of the Jedi his father. He saves his father by appealing to the good. And Ooh, I just got chills, Joey, because that's totally the Jungian archetype of going to rescue your father. I just got chills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's um, it's something I fight because if I I realize that if and it's why people have asked me. You know, you're, you're reasonable. I'm not trying to put myself over, toot my own horn, but, you know, why don't you run for office? I've had a lot of people ask me that. 
And I think it's because, and maybe it's something I should wrestle with more and pursue my blisters, um, because I realized that I would be terrible with power. Like, there's something in me that I think would become very controlling and not worth pursuing um, that I think I could better serve people in doing something like what we're doing tonight rather than sort of trying to organize their lives. I think the logical side of me would take over too much and want to dominate the situation. I think it's everyone. Um, you know, Hayek, to connect economics really quick, F.A. Hayek, um, in The Road to Serfdom, wrote a chapter about why, why the worst get on top. And one of the overall things that I, that I always picked up from that is because they want to be on top, which makes me very concerned with people who are overly eager for power. Because even the most genuine, noble person, once given a little bit of power, can turn into something, uh, to a beast. Um, and I think, I, even as a teacher, when I was a teacher, I saw that come in, in my own work. I saw myself almost becoming a little tyrant as far as like being, being angry with the kids and, mm. and maybe punishing the whole class for one kid's mistake. Or you, you just start seeing like, oh, okay, wait a second. Step back and, and realize that the nature of power itself is just a, a terrifying thing. Now, what is the best Star Wars movie? Return of the Jedi. You actually said that? Huh. I did. And I, I will, oh, no, I, I agree with it. you. I agree with you. Nobody ever <laughs> I was, says... I like, ready. <laughs> everybody always says Empire or Star Wars. No, I don't like Empire. To be honest with you, Empire is my least favorite movie. Yeah, but em- Empire is a brilliant tragic work but it has to be there but it's tragic it doesn't end happy right so that's why i don't like it right and i know people crap on the ewoks but the ewoks are amazing i don't know the ewoks were my childhood exactly and they're the little guy it's like the hobbits and lord of the rings it's like the little guy the group you never think's gonna win or help at all what can they do they're integral to the process i love it i agree (laughs) <laughs> I'm amazed you said Return of the Jedi. No, I have chills. That's that's amazing. <laughs> and that's just my favorite. I think the flow of that movie is great. You know, breaking out Han Solo at the beginning and, you know, getting rid of And that. the whole bar scene. Job of the Hut. that whole scene was, was great. Where you get to see, like, what a kind of a brothel looks like in another galaxy. Exactly. And if folks can't tell, I'm sort of easing it down. We're, we're easing down the show. We only have, like, four minutes left here. Uh, we don't have to always be... High concept here. Uh, have you seen the new Solo movie? I have not. Um, I heard it didn't do great, but I would like to see it. I haven't seen it yet. Okay, I I saw it, and I saw a lot of the reviews. I enjoyed it. Maybe people have Star Wars spinoff fatigue after uh, The Last Jedi, but again, and I was on that very polarizing movie. I'll ask you this. You've seen Last Jedi, correct? Loved it, bald like a baby. Yep, likewise. Loved Last Jedi. Thought it was uh, remarkable, but that was such a polarizing movie. And I loved it because of what Campbell talked about. Is that they've stopped making the Force like this, oh, the Force is this, uh, this particular thing, and we have the canon that lays out how the Force works. And instead of the Force being this thing based on all these rules people have built over the years, it changes the Force back to this mysterious thing that is balance. It gets back to Campbell. It's chaos and order. Yeah. It's the, it, ba- it's the Dow, right? It's that. It's the balance. And, and the little kid at the end. Like, that's exactly, that's it. I it, forgot about the little kid at the end. Oh, I just got chills again. The broom. And it's like, oh, man. And that's why I love that movie. It brought some, it was incredible action spots, but 
it brought back to Star Wars, I think, the mystery uh, that I that I loved as a kid. That it wasn't like, oh, here are the rules, and so this is how it's obviously going to work out. No, I d- had no clue what's going to happen, and I, I appreciate that aspect of it. Well, I will say the one part that was a little too mysterious was uh, Space Ghost. You know, the Leia Space Ghost? Yeah, actually, I, I love Carrie Fisher. I loved it all. I still loved it. I know it was weird. I loved every every part of it. Like, where did that come from? Like, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. You do what you can, but it just was like, all right, that's that, that was a little too convenient. Why can't she just be in another part of the ship? Like, I, I, I don't know. But, uh, Brittany, if folks want to check out uh, what you're doing, like the podcast you're on, the articles you write, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find me at C.org or the Center for Individualism um, and Beltway Banthas as well. Um, so, yeah, please check me out and send me a message if you either like or hate my work. I'll, see, I'll accept either. So, Yeah, you, I, I think you had an article talking about how you're trying to get off the praise, you know, trip. Like the oh, trying, 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 the praise train. See, I, I need to stop, you know, with the self-flagellation. <laughs> <laughs> the self-deprecation only goes so far. It's only charming for a little bit, Joey. See, but I'm doing it now. I just, I can't escape it. I can't escape it whatsoever. And uh, the, I'm sorry, the Beltway and Banthas, it is, what is that coming back? That will be back in September. Okay, cool, cool. Well, folks, yep. y'all uh, keep an eye out uh, for those podcasts and for Brittany's work. Her, her articles are fantastic. That's how I first discovered Brittany, and uh, she is a wicked pen. Uh, hits it hard and is really advocating well, liberty in a fantastic topical way. Um, so, Brittany, thank you so much for joining me tonight. This was freewheeling. I didn't really know what we were getting into, but I think it was uh, a success, so to speak. I think we did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have thank a good rest of the night. Me. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Love to have you back. Thank you for listening, folks. This has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Tomorrow night, it's Friday. It's going to be a free-for-all. I'll talk about what I want. I'll probably have Mr. Spotlow here. I'll probably have Fiance or 84 or somebody. And we're going to have some fun. There's a lot to talk about in this world. Sometimes you need to just take a break. And you don't have to talk about the news. Talk about what you really believe in. Till tomorrow night. Ta-ta. Joey Clark.